Luke is concise. This is Luke's version of the response Jesus gave when his disciples came asking, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. You just heard it read before. I'll read it again. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. Joshua Hayes points out that perhaps some of the disciples' motivation might have been to keep up with John's disciples. We often compare ourselves to others when it comes to prayer. Sometimes it's in a healthy way where a style or an approach or a person's dedication helps us grow in our own prayer life. And at other times, it diminishes us. We think we can't pray with the same passion or dedication that another one has. We mistakenly believe that there's a standard for prayer that we have to meet. Or we judge our style of prayer as not pretty enough or powerful enough or whatever enough. Jesus' answer makes clear that prayer is not about style or charisma or pressing others. It's about simple, direct communication. We've all been freed to pray. We can all reach out to God. Most churches use a form of this prayer and worship, and many Christians in crisis have found great comfort in this prayer. But this prayer is also intended to be a model. The prayer begins with praise, and then it lifts a plea for God's full reign to happen. There's an appeal for needs. A prayer about forgiveness, both praying for forgiveness and acknowledging that forgiveness is meant to be shared. And the final part of the prayer is for deliverance. And that's it in this model that Jesus gives in Luke's gospel. One has to wonder if one of the disciples didn't sidle over to Jesus and say, Come on, Rabbi, there has to be more than that. But that really is it. We've been freed to communicate directly with God. We've been freed of elaborate expectations or complex formulas. You know, the poetry and the beauty and the awe that some prayers generate in worship or some prayers that we read that move us, they have their place. They are important. But when it comes to our prayers, we can lay aside all of that. And just be ourselves. Father, hallowed be your name. Prayer begins with praise, placing God at the center of all things. Everything else follows. For centuries, the church tried to use the apparent centrality of the earth and the cosmos as an argument for the centrality of humanity and by connection, the centrality of the church. Not only did this view become foolish scientifically, it also was theologically very unsound. Because it was an argument not about truth, 
but about power, as Galileo discovered. And it was idolatrous. Humanity and the earth are not the center, the central player in creation. The one in whom we live and move and have our being is the triune God. Our praise need not be elaborate. And on some days, we may have experienced God's love and peace and blessing in a particular way. And all we need to do on that day is just dwell on our grateful appreciation and praise to God for that. And when we do that, when we focus on God as the center, it places us and all that we're experiencing in the proper place. It encourages all, certainly. But it also brings comfort. I thought of a line, but there's a problem with it. I thought of a line from Robert Browning's poem, Pippa Passes. And most have heard it, although they don't know the context. God is in heaven and all's right with the world. Commentators have pointed out that Browning was probably not saying if God is at the center, it makes things right. There's a lot going on in this poem. More likely, he was saying, as long as God stays there and doesn't interfere with earthly matters, all is good. But the second sentence of the Lord's Prayer clearly shows a God who isn't captive to any boundaries between eternal and temporal, between heaven and earth. Thy kingdom come, the Matthew version that we know and say each week, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The message translation of this may also be helpful to you. Set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. Because we know all is not right with the world. There is injustice. There is suffering. From millions of refugees who are hungry and persecuted and yearning to be free, all the way down to that good friend who's struggling with cancer. We know the world needs fixing. Yes, there's beauty and wonder and kindness, but there is also evil and brokenness and sickness and suffering. This plea for the kingdom of God to come is not just a petition for God to act. Once spoken, once that plea is, is voiced, we become avenues for the answer. Time on our knees will always move us to act, to be God's hands and feet and ears and eyes and hearts into the world. We might fully more paraphrase the first part of the Lord's Prayer in this fashion. God of wonder, God who sent his Son, continue to send your justice into our world. Continue to send your compassion and healing and justice into our lives and show us how we can send that out to others. And that brings us to one of the lessons on prayer God speaks to us when we pray, and it can happen in that silence that we practice as we pray, but it can also happen after our formal time of prayer has ended. 
If we have offered God's plea for a change in the world, God's answer will come when we encounter places that need to change. And we discover in that moment, part of the answer is we have a part to play. Give us each day our daily bread. This is a plea for God to meet our basic needs of the moment. How often do we pray, God, just give me what I need in this moment? How many of our prayers are really asking for wants that move far beyond anything basic? And how often when we do that, when we pray for things that we don't need right now, do we miss the basic need that's crying out for an answer in our life? Our culture is so filled up with so many messages promising joy or fulfillment. If we just buy this product, live in this place, download this app, take this trip, act in this way. But these messages can easily distract us from the basic needs in our lives where we should focus our prayers. God, help me love my family. God, teach me what it means to spend quality time with my friends. God, give me the discipline to set aside time with you. God, show me how to share what I have with others so they will have their daily physical and spiritual bread. Prayer should begin with the basics. If we focus on those, we will find the temptations of the world that pull us away from others and from God hold far less sway. Satisfy me today, God, with love, with good food, with joy in relationships. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. For a lot of us, that's a very challenging part of the Lord's Prayer. We all want to be forgiven, no doubt about it. But when we don't like to consider often, we don't like to consider that forgiveness connects us with others. That forgiveness is meant to have a horizontal impact as well as a vertical impact. Jesus told a parable about a man who wouldn't forgive the small debts he, uh, he was owed, despite having been forgiven a huge debt by another person. The parable judges the man harshly for his lack of compassion. There is the expectation that when we experience the grace of God, we will learn how to extend that to others. On good days, we might be able to pray, forgive us our sins, for we're trying every day to learn how to forgive others. And on some days, we may have to pray, forgive us our sins, God. And I confess, I have a deep wound because of what someone did. I don't know today how to forgive. Grant me the healing that only you could give. Teach me how I can extend grace like you have done for me. Forgiveness is a journey, and God promises to be with us throughout that journey. And our prayers 
are meant to be the guidance as we work through that journey of forgiveness. And Lord, do not bring us to the time of trial. Like Josh saying, deliver me. This part of the Lord's Prayer has gotten some attention recently. The Roman Catholic Church adjusted the wording for this from lead us not into temptation to do not let us fall into temptation. The point that that rephrase was making was that God doesn't purposely lead us or push us into temptation to see if we'll fail or not. Temptation already exists without any assistance from God. And we should be praying that God will help us resist the ones we encounter. You know, prayer on the issue of temptation and avoidance of sin reminds us that for Christian ethics, it's not just a matter, in fact, it isn't a matter of willpower. That's not what our ethics are about. Calvin rightly understood that we humans have within us both the in the imprint of the divine, and a brokenness that makes it altogether too easy for us to make the wrong choices. We can't muster up enough strength or moral fiber to avoid sinning. So we pray for strength, for protection, for guidance from God so we can avoid temptation, and when we do encounter it, so we will resist it. God wants to help us do that. After sharing this prayer, Jesus told his disciples a parable about persistence. We've been given the freedom to pray, and Jesus invites us to do so persistently. What's the point of this persistence? Well, part of it is prayer is intended to help us develop a relationship with God. So just as we would know another human better if we spent time with them. So too, if we spend time persistently in prayer, we will come to know God better and learn more about ourselves. Persistence helps us grow. Every spiritual discipline, when practiced with regularity, whether it's prayer or Bible study or attendance at worship or giving or doing acts of service, helps us grow. But Jesus had another stunning reason That was about far more than growth. Jesus wants us to know that God will answer prayer. If the neighbor who really doesn't want to be bothered will give us something to make us go away, we need to understand God is the one who is yearning for us to offer prayers so God can bless us. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find it. Knock and the doors will spring open. God wants us to pray because our prayers will be answered in amazing and stunning ways. David Johnson says this of prayer, We rejoice we have a God. We rejoice that God has brought us into being. We rejoice that God does not abandon us no matter what our circumstances. We rejoice that our many sins do not remove us from the realm of grace, that God acts to heal and renew us. We rejoice that God's love is given to all. We rejoice that God welcomes our prayers and delights in it, just as parents delight in the words of their children. We are freed to converse daily and even more with God. 
We are freed to praise and to plead for justice. We've been freed to lift up our basic needs. We're freely forgiven and freed to learn how to share that forgiveness with others. We've been freed and now offered help to avoid and resist temptation. We are free to be blessed again and again and again because we have been freed to pray. Amen.